Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. I'm Dee, the managing editor at Annie Femme. I also run the anime blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can find me on Twitter, at Jose Next Door. And today I am joined by fellow Annie Femme staffers, Caitlin and Peter. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I uh, review, I write and edit for Anime Feminist. I have my own blog, Heroin Problem, which it is one of my New Year's resolutions to start updating regularly again. <laughs> and I also re- review anime for The Daily Dot. I'm Peter. I'm an associate features editor at Crunchyroll and a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist. And today we will be doing our fall 2018 season retrospective. Um, This includes all of the fall anime we have been watching, including sequels, which we'd like to throw into our retrospective podcasts. Um, And then for this one, because Netflix dropped a whole bunch of shows during the fall season that, even though they're not technically fall shows, um, we did want to give them a little bit of time. So we'll talk about some of the ones that stood out to us that more than one of us uh, watched as well. So because we do have a lot of titles to get into, um, we're going to start with our uh, premiere digest list, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, pretty much everything that was below yellow flags, um, none of us are watching two of, no, there's, no, there's no shows in that list where two of us are watching them, so we're going to kind of breeze through those real, real fast here. Uh, Peter, you're watching the majority of the shows on that bottom half. Is there anything in there that jumps out to you as being different or worthy of recommendation for folks at home? Uh, worthy of recommendation. Uh, I think uh, near the top of the list, as be- as most people, Beezlebub likes it. It's got some weird stuff in it, uh, but overall, it's mostly just kind of a harmless, fluffy show. Um, it had, I think, I think it was put there because some like kind of warning signals said in the first episode. Oh, it's because she was naked in the first episode. She's naked a lot. Yeah, that's yeah. why we, we 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 hesitated between it being harmless fun and being yellow flags, and we went ahead and threw it into yellow flags just to be safe. Yeah, that doesn't really happen too much. I think that was kind of like the thing where they throw the fan service in the first episode to get people watching. Uh-huh. Um, they, that unfortunate thing, but um, I don't think... That unfortunate thing that chases a lot of our readership away. Yeah. <laughs> um... It's got a weird um, character who gets really nervous around people and has to repeatedly go to the bathroom, which I think is supposed to be cute, which is weird, but besides that, it's pretty it's fluffy romance comedy in hell. A cute version of hell. Um, I don't think I could really recommend anything else there. If, if, okay. Like, based on feminist recommendations. Yeah, that's fine. So, Miss Beelzebub, maybe for folks to give a try. Yep. Um, I will spend a couple minutes here, um, just real quick, uh, mentioning Irozuku, The World in Colors. Um, it dropped on net, on Amazon, and it was the PA Works pretty show about the sad girl who goes back in time. Oh, yeah. And yeah. our... Uh, a uh, premiere review that I think you wrote, Caitlin. Yes. Um, the the chief concern was it was going to be a story about like, uh, girl falls in love and boy saves girl from being sad. Um, it's it's not that there is a there is a romantic element to it, but their relationship is um, based on them sort of mutually uh, supporting and inspiring one another's uh, art, her magic, and his um, actual drawings. And then oh, um, nice. just as in, yeah, and then just as important to her is the relationship she builds with the rest of the the club. So like the different friendships she makes, um, her relationship with her back in time grandma. So that family that familial bond is really important to her as well. Um, I ended up actually I watched it kind of towards the tail end of the season. I binged it and I ended up really really liking it. So it wound up on our um, 
on our actual recommendations um, list write-up that we did um, yesterday. Or I guess by the time this drops, it'll be about a week ago. So I would direct folks to that if you want a little bit more on it. It The metaphor, the magical realism metaphors are messy and... Um, like my critic, my critic brain can poke a lot of holes in it, but like it's very, it's a very sincere emotional story about like grief and healing and finding a supportive community to help you through that. Um, and I ended up really liking it. So um, some kind of caveats in terms of maybe being a bit oversimplistic, but uh, again, I'll direct you to that recommendation. It ended up being a really, a really sweet, uh, nice show. So I, I liked it quite a bit. So figured I'd mention that here. Cool. Um, I believe that's the only thing. Yeah, that's the only thing on that bottom half of the list that I wanted to mention. Um, so I guess we can just jump straight into the top half of the uh, premieres for fall. Um, starting at the bottom, just because it starts with a Z, uh, Zombieland Saga, which I think I'll... F no, Caitlin, you ended up dropping this one. So Peter and I watched it to the end. Yeah, I mean, I didn't drop it for any particular reason. I was just watching episode six and like, I'm not into this. And then ended up never going back. Yeah, and that's fair. Not every show is going to be for everybody. It is, however, really good. Yeah, go ahead. Kind of, kind of talk about it a bit. Uh, God, how do you talk about Zombieland Saga? Um, <laughs> it got me to watch an idol anime, which is a Herculean feat. Um, I'm pretty sure it belongs in the history books for that one. Like, you know, the ones that they give you in, in American high school, like the, the general history books. I think it deserves a spot. I don't know, have a it's a uh, splash page. It's really funny and completely unexpected and just kind of a great concept and all these things came together uh, really well. It's got kind of you could tell they were sort of on limited budget but they managed to really work within their means as well. Just like everything about the show was kind of spectacular. I think like if it had one failing it's probably that they didn't really uh, like I think they show you that Tatsumi's an asshole, but they still let him be kind of heroic, despite the fact that he's obviously kind of a sociopath, which sucks a little bit. Um, but that didn't really ruin my enjoyment of the series in the end. In fact, when they re had that reveal about his potential backstory, uh, I was one of those people that just kind of went like, "Well, I need to see that in season two for sure." I think there's that the, there's so many like stray strings that I'm pretty sure we're getting a season two because they introduced like three potential plot elements in the last episode yeah my big my big thought at the end of because i don't think i was quite as in love with this one as you and some of the other staffers were but i did enjoy it all the way through and again i'm not i i have a hard time getting into idol shows not not for any particular reason just not necessarily my cup of tea um and this one i i did end up watching all the way through and enjoying um for the most part um but yeah my my main thought when i got to the end was okay we're season two there's a lot of threads here that will, I think, kind of affect my overall opinion about the show. Um, so I would, I would like to see that happen. Um, uh, yeah, the the manager uh, Tatsumi is kind of a. It's one of those things where it's like I know it's a glaring flaw, and I thought it would bother me a lot more than it did because at the beginning of the season I was like, yeah, if they don't, if they don't. Um, if they try to like redeem him or make him seem like a good guy, like that'll be a breaker for me. And it wound up not being a breaker, but it's still like it's still like you said, like a pretty a pretty big hole in the show because he is a he is a raging asshole and um, like borderline abusive, especially to Sakura, I think. Um, and the fact that it helps that the girls there's a give and take beat by the, the end of the him. show. I think <laughs> they beat the shit out of him regularly, and I think that it I think that that give and take helps. 
Um, but because Sakura never really fights back, I think that 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 there's that central relationship didn't sit well throughout the whole show. Um, but it could have been the way they it's handled well enough that like it could have been like a huge issue and it ended up just being like a an, an annoyance. A, good lord, I can talk an annoyance. Um, but overall, yeah, it's a it's a cute show. There's I don't think we got to talk about this in the in the mid season. Um, there's a trans character, which probably folks listening to this, if you're like involved in the anime sphere at all, you probably know this. Oh yeah. Um, one of the one of the one of the girls um, is a trans girl, and it's handled about as well as I think any of us have seen that sort of reveal handled in an anime. Um, it's very accepting and sweet, and the episode I think gave us gave us all uh, a little bit teary eyes by the end. So yeah, subplots so, yeah, are amazing. It's overall, yeah, it's 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 a it's a nice show, and I would yeah, I'd recommend it to folks for sure. Um, and I hope I hope there's more of it coming. Um, it seems I from my understanding is it did really well in Japan, so I think that a season two is is pretty much a done deal or a movie or something at this point. So huge pilgrimage to Saga, so they literally saved Saga. So I imagine <laughs> I imagine they'll get a second season funded. Probably it seems like that was very intentional. Yeah, the ending is very open. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where they where they take the zombie idols from here, for sure. Um, okay, let's move on because we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, quadruple S Gridman, um, the the trigger mecha show based on an old uh, Tokusatsu series. All three of us finished that oh, one. Oh, yeah? so yes, yep. so good. Yeah, go ahead, Caitlin. Uh, talk talk to us about that one because you did the write up for the recommendations post, and you've been you know having to be quiet for a little bit here, so. Well, when we checked in with mid-season, there was a lot of like, well, it's gotten more and more fan servicey, and there's feet mm-hmm. everywhere, and then <laughs> like Akane just had her tits out for a lot of episode six, and you know, it's like it's good, but I'm just really not sure. But right after that, it turn it took a turn. Mm-hmm. And that turn was incredible. Yeah, episode six is definitely the low point for me. And then immediately after that, it starts shooting up. And it's so hard to talk about without spoiling the story. So it's almost like I don't even know how we can discuss it on the podcast without spoiling it for right. folks who haven't seen it already. Um, You know, it is. It's about Akane. Uh, if Yuta seems like a boring protagonist, that's because... <laughs> The show's not really about him. Um, you know, and the way I put it, uh, I put, I said this in the review too, it's like, when I said that I felt like Gridman was, or SSSS Gridman was going to be the closest spiritual successor to Evangelion so far, I was way more I was way closer than I realized at the time um and I'm not gonna say I have encyclopedic knowledge of psychological mech series but I do think that it it very well may be uh the the most similar thing to Evangelion that's come out yeah it really it does a good job sort of um the whole world ends up being kind of a kind of an extended metaphor yeah. um, for like social isolation and anxiety and things like that. And it's yeah, again, without without delving too too deeply into it, um, it's one of those where I finished it and I was kind of like, huh. And then the more I sat on the ending, the more I liked it, and the more I went, 
rewatching this would be really interesting because knowing like where the story goes and having that knowledge in the early episodes. Yeah. And I don't think <laughs> all the foreshadowing. I don't think there's yeah, all the foreshadowing for sure. I don't think there's any excuse for the fan service. Like I don't think I can no. in retrospect say, Oh well that was there for X reason. No. Like no. it's 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 still pretty shitty. Um, but if you can get past the fan service in those early episodes, um, and there's really not, it's really just the beach episode was bad. Otherwise it was, it was pretty tame. Feet. Yeah. I mean, I guess there was, that's, feet. I didn't notice. I agree with you, but I, I'm not going to dis. I'm not going to argue that point, but I didn't notice it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if you can get past that, I think it, I think it does, it does gel into, um, a really, a really interesting and good sort of adolescent mecha series, um, I'd say probably the best of the year. And we've had a few mecha series this year. so yeah. It's a really new face for Trigger, too. Uh, you were, I think they're starting to... It used to be like the Amaishi show, but I think they're really showing a lot of their uh, other director's strengths, like like with Little Witch mm-hmm. Academia now. So depending upon who's running the show, um, in, in future Trigger anime, I think we like they, there's actually a lot that people who aren't really down for the Amaishi super fan service series might enjoy basically look for yo-yo shinari or amemia i guess is what i'm saying yeah. yeah this was really well um really well directed like the cinematography was excellent um and it was i would say it was a much more restrained trigger show like i was kind of surprised when yes. i realized it was trigger um because i was like oh this isn't really like what i think of when i think of a trigger show and it's you know because they are sort of expanding into different directors and animation styles and things like that which is Delicate awesome character interactions I mean, they've, they've um had other shows like that they just haven't been as successful as this one like no one remembers when supernatural batters bat supernatural battles become commonplace yeah i mean there's no. also kiss neighbor too but um i don't know how commercially successful either of those were just the anime fandom collectively forgot about when supernatural battles become commonplace after it ended which is fair because it was a pretty forgettable show yeah, and I wasn't trying to say that like all of their shows look exactly the same. I was just saying that there's a there there is a style that people tend to link to their studio. Yeah, that's and, and this, this I think, and I think this it it has a, some of those elements in terms of like you know the the big exciting well directed battles and animated and things like that. Um, but it's it's a little more restrained, um, which I appreciated. So and Trigger also definitely has their like primary shows and then their secondary shows, right? Yeah. I think I feel like wasn't this one was actually like their B team, wasn't it? Uh, this would be something that would typically this would be like a supernatural battles type show. You kind of get the feeling they're with the other ones they were using like doing it to pay the bills to make the stuff they really wanted to make. Um, and this one they really wanted to make for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd say it's seems it seems it certainly seems that way i don't i don't have any of the i don't have any background information as far as like behind the scenes show notes or anything Mm -hmm. like that but um but yeah no looks good good well written um it was it was a good one again Mm -hmm. if you can get past the fan service check it out run with the wind which is at its midway point so uh, we'll have time to talk about this again in more detail by the end of the winter season sounds like um we're all keeping up with this one too yeah yep I've enjoyed this one a lot. If I thought it was going to end at the mid-season, and so I'm glad we get two core. Um, if it continues in the vein it is in, I will pretty heartily recommend it by the end. If it just keeps going at a steady pace, <laughs> uh, it'll hit the finish line. Uh, it still it it still makes me irritated when they're like, "Oh my God, Prince is so slow, and he is running a ten-minute mile." Which isn't, like, great. It's not competitive, but it's respectable for... It's better than people who are out of shape as they make him out to out to be generally would be able to do. Mm-hmm. Ten I've hit a 10-minute mile 
Huh? 10 minute mile is a pretty big fitness goal for a lot of people. I don't know if I'm uh, as still as keen on it. I feel like I'm kind of hate watching it, to be honest. I really don't like uh, Haiji, and I really don't like uh, what is her name, Hana. Mm-hmm. Not I don't. It's not like don't don't like the character. I just don't like the portrayal that she gets. She just exists. I've yeah. honestly yeah, yeah. sort of stopped paying attention to her. I keep thinking they're going to do something with her, and they have yet to do anything with it's, her. This is all like this. It's pretty much all the same stuff that we talked about at the mid season. Um, yeah, not so. Much I changed. don't think we need to rehash it, rehash all of that. It's it's just sort of keeps doing what it's doing. Oh my gosh, it's been a few weeks since the show aired, so I have forgotten everybody's names. Um, Kakadu, the main character, right? Yeah, I really like where they've had the direction they've developed his character in, in terms of him um, kind of stepping up and becoming a leader and starting to think of this as a team. Um, his relationship with Prince, I did not expect, and I thought it was really well handled. And um, the fact that they've been able to kind of bond and come together has was was really sweet. Um, Haiji has grown on me. Part, mostly because the other characters have really started to um, buy into what he's trying to do, and I think he's done a good job of kind of quietly mentoring Kakeru in particular. So I, I think he's—I don't think he's a perfect character by any stretch, and I'm not gonna uh, excuse his um, somewhat shitty behavior in getting everybody to try the running. Um, but I think we've seen over the course of the show that he has a lot of good points, as well as being, you know, overly pushy at times. Um, and so I think I think that makes him a I think that makes him a, a more well-rounded, interesting character. I do like where they're going with Kakedo as far as him. Like I, I feel like this is kind of like the best trajectory for his character. And uh, yeah, I didn't see the prince thing coming. I, I like that relationship too. Although uh, since the the midpoint when we last talked, I think there's been a lot of scenes between him and Haichi where he brings up very reasonable concerns and is like kind of portrayed as the villain because he is being realistic. Or he thinks that running is about moving over distance quickly, like, like he literally said that, and it's like you fucking idiot. That's not what running's about. Uh, but that that's that's exactly running. I, I don't know what they're trying to like. Like I don't know why that makes you a villain. That's that's the sport. Uh, but it's like every time he brings up a reasonable objection, uh, he kind of I don't know. He's just made out to be an asshole, and I think that's unfair because the the thing that they are trying to do is basically impossible. And um, especially the situation with the prince, it was, I think, like, has, has he ever had an unreasonable concern about the group? I mean, I don't think it's so much that he's being portrayed as the villain so much as he is not getting, like, he and Haiji are sort of not really on the same wave- wavelength. But the series takes Haiji's side in the way that it portrays the two characters. Well, yes. Um, and listen, like, we're I don't think we're ever going to agree on this, Peter, because... You hate Haiji. I still kind of like Haiji. So I, I, I'm not going to try I'm not saying this to try to convince you, but rather just sort of my perception is that while Kakeru's concerns are like he does have reasonable common sense concerns, like it's not about being reasonable. It's not about common sense for like Haiji. And it's about trying to achieve this thing. It's about whatever and we'll doing, discover. You know, it's, 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 you know, Gambaru and and teamwork. It's very anime that way. It is very anime that way. Um, I guess I I see what you're both saying. I think with I don't see Kakeru as being portrayed as the villain. I think the show is kind of I think the show is kind of criticizing him for focusing solely on the 
hurdles to get there. Like, and by the end of this, by the end of this first <laughs> half, I think, I think, <laughs> yeah, I know I'm, I'm working in all the secret puns. By the end of this first core, I think we see Kakadu moving into a position where he's like, well, no, I still have these concerns, but instead of just starting with it's hopeless, it's never going to happen. We're so screwed. I'm going to go, okay, here, are, here are the problems and here is what we can do to try to solve them. And I think that's the direction the show is kind of trying to push the characters in as Haiji is in this position where he thinks he's a, he's, I think he is well aware of how hard this is going to be. But if that's where you start from with any task, you're going to get overwhelmed really fast. So you have to focus on, well, no, this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to get a little bit better every day. Um, and so I think that's what the show is is pushing for at this what's, point. What's the Kamina quote uh, from Gurren Lagan? Kick reason to the curb and go past the impossible or something like that. Uh, and, you know, don't basically in a more bombastic show, Haiji would have the same energy as Kamina. Yeah, but th- this is very realistically framed, which I think is where that distance is coming from. I definitely know um, what you're saying. I mean, it's that none of this stuff is uncommon for anime, but at the same point, like everything they're doing is like very realistic. It doesn't have a lot of the trappings of like a super sports anime where they're like, I don't know, hitting yeah, a volleyball it's more and turning into sure. a flock mm-hmm. of crows or something. Yeah, and yeah. well, I think it's interesting seeing that kind of attitude in a more grounded show. I don't know. I, I I want to see where the show is going. I don't necessarily think they're going to be successful in their goal. Yeah, I, I actually don't know what how it's going to turn out. Yeah, I'm curious to see. I feel like we could I feel like we could continue discussing this for a while and um, again we will have time to talk about it more at the end. So um, if you if unless there's something else you all really want to mention, I, I'm gonna move us forward. Good. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, Peter, um, the next stretch of shows is pretty much just stuff you're watching. Um, Caitlin and I kind of fell behind and, um, or didn't pick up on any of these. Um, so as far as Miss Vampire, Hinomaru Sumo, and Anima Yell go, are they pretty much where they were at the mid-season point, or is there anything you'd like to bring up there? I know you were pretty positive on all three of them, like, moderate, moderate to positive, moderate to positive at the mid-season, so. Yeah, Miss Vampire, I think, remains pretty harmless uh they introduced mm-hmm. this other vampire character ellie who really likes to drink blood of young maidens and is kind of a little predatory um but mm. it's mostly like things she talks about and never things she does um she kind of acts like i don't know you know like the predatory lesbian toward um god i can't remember what the main character's friend's name is it's kind of like i don't know it's kind of like a joke i don't think they take it too far but uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely not great yeah, still a point of, of kind of a troubling element for sure. Yeah, uh, Hinomaru Sumo, uh, it's pretty much still a super sports series. Um, unfortunately, I, the girl that I thought was going to just fall in and become their manager just like isn't really doing anything. Uh, she just comes to events and I guess is supposed to be a female character that's there so that you know that women exist. <laughs> uh, it's so a sports good. anime. Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like they do some cool stuff with... Um, talking about like physical limitations because the main character you know he's he's below height and they talk about how he mm-hmm. can feasibly get into sumo despite that um based on some archaic rules uh which i believe are real or at least it sounds like they're real or they're plausible um i i wish and like uh, his, he's got a friend one of the new guys on the team uh has this lung disease so that he he can't really fight um but they kind of feel like kindred spirits because they both have something that should technically keep them from doing the sport entirely um, mm-hmm. I wish they kind of portrayed how brutal sumo training is a bit more, uh, because it's actually kind of, I don't know, I, maybe they just wanted to be very optimistic about it, but, mm-hmm. uh, it, their training's pretty brutal. 
like really, really bad. Let's see. Oh, an anime yell, I feel like pretty much just kept being uh, good. Uh, they, I remember the, the one thing I wanted to bring up was Rai brought up a concern about um, Arima being, she was like, she had two special disease or something like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> where uh, she was so good at cheerleading that she got ostracized by the club and kicked out. Oh, like Kakeru. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Rai kind of brought that up as a criticism in their initial review of the first episode. And in the last episode, I think they kind of addressed that and showed that that wasn't really the situation. It was just based on some misperceptions. So that kind of resolved itself, I guess. And uh, also it was revealed that Arima has a older brother that uh, helps her come up with new moves and supports her, uh, which I think is a pretty good... There aren't a whole lot of guys in the series. So the fact that she has like a positive relationship with her brother who is totally into cheerleading and is willing to do dance routines with her is apparently pretty good. Um, it's kind of a cool thing that they did as well. Yeah. So generally it did a lot of really cool things and was surprisingly funny. And I've got like 80 reaction images in that <laughs> series that I want to use. Nice. So one for folks to check out. Yeah. Um, just kind of a real quick check-in. Um, at the mid-season, I was keeping up with The Girl in Twilight. I dropped it pretty much immediately after the mid-season check-in. Um, I've never had a show where the fan service was so dissonant that provoked me to drop a series midway through usually at that point I'm like okay fine it's there I'll deal with it but it was it it had it was so out of the blue with the content of the actual show and then the writing itself was it was okay um but the show was like all about like female friendship and um like coming to be comfortable with your identity even if it didn't fit into like you know prescribed norms and so it had all these like nice little messages running through the background and then it'd be like boobs in your face out of nowhere it sucked and it I, it finally got to the point where um i just i was like this isn't fun i'm done so i dropped it um and then peter you are still keeping up on radiant yeah that's yeah. the next one just keep talking about better. yeah so um that's another one that's continuing into winter we'll have more time to talk about it then i'm gonna try to catch up with it for the winter season so hopefully the two of us can chat about it when it gets to the end there you're gonna love it okay awesome i was gonna say is there anything in particular you want to mention or is it pretty much where it was at the mid-season as far as things folks should be aware of i think we had some concerns about melia's like split persona uh-huh which is kind of a not great trope but i feel like they've uh, done some pretty good stuff with it and shown like you know it's like her main personality is defensive magic only her aggressive personality is offensive magic only uh she mm-hmm. like they kind of like do away with that like absolute dichotomy that would force her to be switching personalities all the time and uh she's not just like a mascot character or anything so i feel like that series has treated her very well after kind of a questionable introduction and that's a good thing yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna give it another another uh whirl here um next one on our list was (laughs) oh boy double decker (sighs) which I think we all felt pretty good about three episodes into and then over the coming weeks felt less and less pretty good about it. Um, I dropped it around eight um, pretty shortly after we got the Max backstory episode. And then I think I got about halfway through the one after that and went, I'm not having a good time. And I just, I just dumped it on the floor. Um, Peter, did you finish it? Caitlin, I know you actually did complete it, right? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. I, um, where am I? I'm at, like, episode five. Oh, okay. You're quite a ways back then. Um, all right, Caitlin, let us know. How did it wrap up? Did it save itself? <laughs> well, 
the plot in Double Decker is always a mess. The big plot with the organized crime gang kicks in and it's complete, like, nonsense, garbage. Like, I'm sure some people will come in and be like, oh, no, 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 it was actually very easy to follow. But the th- problem is that I didn't care enough about the actual plot to follow, to try to, try to follow it. It would be, Double Decker is very much... Uh, a group of very good characters who need better writers mm-hmm. because the last episode sort of um, it picked up that energy from the first few episodes again uh-huh. um, and it was like oh right this show can be really good sometimes but it when the plot is going it's just like whatever um, so if I would watch the heck out of just like an episodic uh, police procedural sort of double decker where the narrator comes in a lot and Travis is an idiot and, you know, we slowly get to know the characters a little bit better and they put some time, like some time and some effort into the LGBT stuff. Still not sure what they were going for with Valerie. It's all very confusing, especially since Kirill seems pretty comfortable with a de- with like gender fluidity. There's an episode where he wears a wedding dress, and it's not like ha ha ha, Kirill's wearing a wedding dress. It's like Kirill's wearing a wedding dress because to do a like nice thing for someone, um, and he looks very beautiful in it. So it's it's weird. Like it, the show really kind of talks out of both sides of its mouth. For everything, uh-huh. that's frustrating. Yeah, um, I heard. I heard there was some there. There was a little bit of a barrier gaze towards the end. Is that accurate or no? This was just something that that buzzed up on my feed. No, but not because of people being wrong, but just because the show sort of doing its its silly bullshit. Not in a bad way, but just <laughs> you know. Like, there, something happens, and it seems terrible, and the narrator comes in and yells about it, and it turns out that Travis did something stupid again, and didn't tell anyone, and that uh, affected the situation. Okay, well, I guess that makes it slightly better, maybe? Um, but it sounds like it was a big mess, so yeah, this one was, this one I think was maybe the biggest disappointment of the season for a lot of folks. I, once again, I would watch the hell out of a show with those characters that's just, like, slice of life, not worried about, like, the whole, like, organized crime overarching plot. Um, I love all of them so much. Uh, Doug is a kind of character that you don't see very much. Um, it's got a great female cast when the writers are not doing them terrible disservices. Um, but, you know, they all deserved better, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. they did not get better. Okay, well, that was Double Decker then. Yeah. Womp womp. Rip Double um, Decker. Double disappointment. Double disappointment. Mm. That's what the D stood for. It's Surprise. always gunny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that does bring us to the last title on our fall list before we jump into uh, sequels and Netflix shows reasonably quickly is my goal my goal here uh top of our list was blooming to you i don't have a lot to add beyond what i said in the mid-season um at the mid-season i was like i was lukewarm at the beginning and now it's really growing on me and uh that's still where i am like um the show kind of just ends because the manga is ongoing and they didn't want to like you know try to slap on a, a an awkward anime original finale um 
I hope it does well enough to get a season two. I will definitely be picking up the manga, which I think is one of the higher recommendations I can give a show is when I end it and go, yes, I'm going to keep reading this. Um, it's, it's just a, it's just a really good, very um, grounded sort of realistic depiction of uh, queer teenagers trying to figure their shit out. Um, and I've, just each week, um, it was beautifully produced, animated, um, storyboards were lovely, um, and I was just a little bit more impressed with it every week, and liked it a little bit more every week, and would definitely recommend it to folks. Um, I think it'll clear, I think it'll clear my best of of the year pretty, pretty easily at this point. Um, so yeah, I would, I would recommend it to folks. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, um, there is, there is kind of the, the sort of, um, ongoing discussion around this series as far as, um, the main character initially seeming Ace and Arrow, and then as the series progresses, um, it becomes, uh, it starts to seem more and more like she was just, you know, sort of a late bloomer or even possibly repressed because her dad's kind of a homophobe. And I think that's fine. I think the series does a really good organic job of depicting that. And I think that is a valid, um, a valid and important story to tell as well. Um, I also think it's totally valid if folks who are watching it and were hoping it was an Ace Arrow love story are disappointed by that. Like that's your feelings are also valid there. Um, but that, I just don't think that's the story that Bloom into you wants to tell. And I think that's also fine. Like that's not a criticism. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's hear for the yeah. late bloomers. Yay. Yeah. So it's, yeah, no, it's, it's been great. And I look forward to seeing where the manga uh, author takes the story from here. And again, hopefully we get a second season of the anime because it was very lovely. Anyway, that's the end of our uh, fall series, um, which brings us to... Well, that's the end of our new fall series. There were also sequels, carryovers, and shorts, um, which, again, uh, let's just kind of try to touch on these somewhat quickly. Um, let's start with the short, Skullface bookseller Honda-san. Peter, you didn't watch this one? Uh, I got, like, four or five episodes in. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Uh, um, just, you know. Just busy. Anime yeah. stuff. Uh, Caitlin and I watched it. Um... I think my, my general opinion, it's not, I mean, it's not a super deep show. It's about a bunch of people working in a bookstore. I used to work in a bookstore, so I loved it. It honestly made me miss working in a bookstore, um, <laughs> like a lot. Uh, it's, it's funny. It's, it's pretty accepting and it's a nice show about basically nice people. Um, and it's like 11 minutes an episode and yeah, I'd say check it out. It's good. Mm-hmm. The implication is that it is in a popular tourist area in Tokyo because they get a lot of uh, tourists, foreign customers, a yeah. lot of foreign customers, and how Honda-san is sort of the designated English speaker, even though he's not very comfortable with it, and um, but he tries his best, uh, which is I, I I really like how it portrays the sort of cultural differences with that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, and his sort of it is at once foreign customers can be hard to deal with and also like but also not like judgy or um man those wacky foreigners just like i would not expect to see the uh someone doing this but they're foreign and they are different so yeah i think it's i think it's um kind of embracing and poking very affectionate fun there's it does not seem to have a mean-spirited bone haha <laughs> bone because skeleton mm-hmm. but yeah no honda was good um again not a, i don't think there's a, a a deep discussion to have about it, but it's a nice series that folks should check out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also watched Thunderbolt Fantasy, The Puppet Show, Season 2. It's wonderful. I love it. Check it out, folks. I recommended it on the for the year for the season write-ups um, just because I could. 
uh, yeah, I I would say give the give the give the martial art puppets a try. Um, Gen Urobochi is living his best life, and God bless him for it. Um, and that's all I have to say about Thunderbolt Fantasy. You guys have been watching JoJo's. Any thoughts? Any quick thoughts? A lot of people seem to like this JoJo best. Um, my heart still belongs to Joseph and Josuke. I think Jorno is kind of boring. I'd like to see Trish get to do more and see more of what her whole deal is. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's not my favorite JoJo. That's still Diamond is Unbreakable. But, you know, it's it's a good, fun action show every, you know, every week. Folks who like JoJo's will continue to like it, basically. Yes. Yes. I think yeah. uh, anyone planning to, like, go into this one as an entry point, though, I feel, well, I don't know, I guess this is kind of... Uh, it's something I've complained about regularly with JoJo, and I feel like I should bring it up in case anyone's considering watching the show that might um, have uh, problems with, like, uh, violence against women. Uh, there's a really graphic depiction of a woman getting beaten, and the camera leers on it for, like, I think I counted a full 13 seconds of her getting punched in the face. Jeez. And also they introduce gay characters and almost instantaneously fridge them, brutally murder a gay couple, and mutilate their bodies as a plot point so if those things are things that would make you not want to watch a show uh come in prepared to jojo yeah oh, damn nobody ever talks about that with jojos yeah, they always talk about the dog death i my her. my big issue there's a lot of violence against women in jojos and not too many positive portrayals of women at least from my, right. my perception we're not gonna fight about women in jojo again peter but i want you i want it to be known that i uh, think that the depiction of women in JoJo is uh, much more complex, like a uh, more com- complicated discussion. Sh- discussion. Why can't I talk? It's a more complicated okay. discussion than just it's not good at it. But we're not going to do that because that would take a while. That can be a separate podcast, but I think <laughs> in this say, case, uh, in a this JoJo's case, podcast would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you are sensitive to graphic violence against women or or like fridging gays it's or like you know what is it barrier gays kind of thing is a is like yeah. a deal breaker for you then that both are present in jojo part five would you say that's that's fair caitlin yes i would say i mean i would give it not credit it is a violent series in general um mm-hmm. it is like it's it is it's not good that it introduces like an obvious gay couple and they are <laughs> killed immediately. Like that is, yeah, no, it's, it's not great. There's a lot of death in general. Um, so, you know, kind of go into judges expecting a lot of people being violently graphically murdered. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's good to give folks a heads up. Um, because again, I don't, I don't necessarily know that of all the Jojo buzz I hear, I don't think that's something I, I hear a ton of. I mean, I know there's violence in it, but yeah. Okay. So that's Jojo's. Um, and again, we should probably have a, it sounds like we could benefit from a longer podcast just talking about the series as a whole. So maybe something, uh, you guys could do. That'd be fun. Um, Others, the last sequel that I had listed for us was Golden Kamui. Peter, you and I are both watching that one. Um, my feelings on part two is that it feels extremely rushed, and based on manga readers, uh, that is the case. They've hacked and slashed a lot out of the series. Um, I kind of feel like if I... I kind of feel like Golden Kamui is 90% problematic shit, but because it's so weird, 
it just kind of washes over me. It's really, it's a really strange series. Yeah, it's kind of like Dodo Hey Dodo, where everyone's essentially a serial killer, but they're all so goofy and lovable that you just want all of them to live their best lives. And I don't know, they don't, they don't really go around murdering people. I mean, a lot of them are ex-cons who were killers or something like that, but I, I, they spend a lot of their time just cooking and poking fun at each other or having a very duty hot springs trip together, stuff like that. God, that's another, it's another series that's hard to talk about because there's just so much going on. I, you're, I mean, you're definitely right. The second half was super rushed. They cut out a lot because, uh, I mean, if you watched the last episode, it was pretty obvious they wanted to leave it off at that particular point. And yeah, for they sure. sacrificed story elements to get there. I, I mean, it's. I think the mystery continues to get kind of more fascinating. Um, they kind of keep expanding the cast with these cool characters who like are constantly switching sides. Uh, it's like everybody's Revolver Ocelot in that series. Yeah, but we're rushing through the plot points so fast that we don't really get to hang out with anybody. So I had a, I kind of had, a, I had a hard time getting emotionally attached to any of the characters that they spent more time on in part two. Like I, like I love the, I love kind of the main, you know, the main sort of trio. And then past that, there were a lot of people who I was like, you seem like you'd be interesting, but I'm not getting enough with you to, to really know how to feel about you at this point. Yeah. So. Tanigaki really went through a sudden transformation into a, like a barrel chested dad. Uh, yeah, I think if you were just watching the anime, the second season might not be that great, um, because for, basically for those reasons, I definitely intend to read the manga now, though, uh, and like knowing some of the stuff they come out cut out, I definitely want to read it. I think like the story yeah. in and of itself is very good. I think a lot of the aspects of the production were limited, but very good, all things considered. But yeah. the second season, they did kind of have to jump over some like entire stories to get to the the big like transitioning point in the story in the manga that they wanted to reach this is there's a good chance this will run over but there's also a good chance that at least one of the netflix shows we will end up doing a retrospective on um so netflix We're dropped a bunch of shows on us well for end of season time i'm i'm trying to keep us on a pace here um but again <laughs> there, there are three more shows to to talk about at least a little bit here um so netflix dropped a bunch of shows on us here in the u.s in the past uh three months Caitlin watched all of them for her job um, over at the Daily Dot. Uh, um, you are truly a trooper. Um, and then Peter and I <laughs> have really kept hard. up. So many of them are yeah. bad. I can, yeah. I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I've only watched the ones that, uh, from what I understand, were actually worth watching. And so those are kind of the three we were going to talk about. Here are the ones that we sort of deemed um, worth mentioning worth noting for our audience. Um, so obviously, if we skip something that you folks at home are like, well, this one was actually good. Shoot us a comment um, in the notes and let other folks know about it um, on the website as well. But also be um, aware that I do disagree with you because <laughs> in my book, these are the only three that have dropped in the last three months that are worth anything. Yeah. Um, so we are going to actually start from the top of the list on this one. Um, this one is the one that came out the most, the longest to go back in October. Uh, Dragon Pilot Hisone and Masotan, um, more commonly known as Hisomaso. And I think all three of us finished this one, yeah? I'm at episode eight or nine. I didn't quite get okay. to catch up. Now, this is the one that I'm pretty sure we have a retrospective planned. Um, we haven't recorded it yet, but I do think it is in, it is it is something that is on our docket. Yes. So we don't have to spend a ton of time on it here. Um, I like what Hisomaso is trying to do. I think it spends a lot of its second half getting caught up in really obnoxious plot elements before it finally mm -hmm. gets there. I think it is kind of going for the same sort of thing that the woman called Fujikomine does, where it kind of 
pulls a pulls the rug out from under you where it's like is it really saying this like really like kind of gender aggressive sort of thing and then surprise at the end it's like no it's not saying that it's saying the opposite i don't think it's as successful um yeah i would agree with that um mostly because of some of the subplots it's tough to talk it's another one that's tough to talk about without spoiling it which is why i think saving a a longer discussion for a retrospective is is a very good idea here um it is a series that is engaging with um a lot of like sexist assumptions about women in the workplace um I mean, obviously, specifically, like, in Japanese work culture, but I think that, you know, the world over people can uh, relate to a lot of what it's what it's doing with the um, these female pilots um, trying to exist in a space that is dominated um, by men. And these ideas about, um, you know, women being focused on romance and becoming useless once they fall in love. And it's it's engaging with a lot of these ideas and it eventually goes someplace worthwhile with them, albeit clumsily. Um, it's a show I'm not 100% sure I liked it, but I would recommend people watch it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I, really... I, I, I watched like two thirds of it through a second time. And I think it does better in the second pass where you know where it's going. Because uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't so have this discomfort of, is it really saying this? I think it might be saying this and I'm not really okay with that. Um, in the second, like when you watch it again and you know what it is, what it is going for, it's a little bit like, okay, now I see, but it's, yeah, (laughs) I don't know if it is entirely successful in what it is trying to do. Yeah. I I honestly have a lot of trouble watching Mario Kata stuff, uh, especially ones that fall into like this formula that have become, it's like the third time I feel like she's done this anime. Because uh, there was Aquarian Evil, Kisniver, and now now where it's like uh, uh, patriarchal figures are manipulating the love lives of people seemingly for no purpose. The woman um, called Fujiko Mine too. Uh, oh, dude, was that yeah. the same thing? Okay. And so. now my my understanding of Hisomaso is that the dire- this one was more the director's baby, and Okada came in to um, basically sketch it together. So I don't necessarily want to. It's one of those chicken or egg things, right? Where I think I think Okada has worked more in the driver's seat with stories that have this similar um, structure sometimes, and. So I don't know if she always brings that in or if people decide to grab her as the writer because she's known for doing that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I don't yeah. know if I've ever seen an anime really do that outside of Okada. Like, yeah. The closest but I just, I did, I just wanted to say I've, I've read some there. I know some interviews and some production stuff that came that made it um, into English. And um, the director is credited with a lot of the a lot of the like main push on the story for this one. So. Yeah, Yeah, what I was going with that, though, is I feel like this is the one that has made the best use of that. Like, even now, I'm I'm not to the the turn like you two are, although I've been uh, slightly spoiled. It's not really the same thing as... Like, I got that feeling even before Caitlin told me uh, a little bit about the ending. Yeah. Um, But I can already sort of sense now that it's it's very kind of hyper-focused on, like, sexism in the workplace. and, And I feel like it's really focusing on how like women's romantic lives are are become like a um a subject of criticism for them um mm-hmm. whereas with like Aquarian Evil and Kisniver I just couldn't like fathom the purpose that of like that they were telling this story for so in that way I think that this is the most successful version of this archetype whether it's an Okada thing or not that I've I've seen in an anime I would say watch the woman called Fujikomine 
Uh, yeah. That's, that's been on my uh, list. I will eventually watch that anime. But I do agree. Hisamasa is, I, I uh, definitely, I think, comes together better than Kizuniver did. But I have some thoughts about Kizuniver. Um, although it also, like, just kind of quick content warning for folks, and I guess at the risk of, like, lightly spoiling something towards the end, um, there is kind of a, there's kind of a bury your gaze moment towards the end. There are some sad, tragic lesbians, um, which I sighed at a little bit. Um, and then, um, one of the romantic, one of the, I, there's a couple of romantic relationships. One of them is really cute and I love it. And the other one is exhausting and kind of made me, made my eye twitch. So, um... And again, I, we've God, we've already spent like ten minutes on this freaking show, and we said we're going to do a retrospective on it. But clearly, there's a lot to unpack with Hisomaso. Um, it is again, it's one that I would say like folks watch unless anything we named here just sounds like completely unappealing and a total deal, bre- deal breaker to you. Um, I think it is trying to engage with some really interesting and worthwhile ideas. It just you know is kind of clumsy in its execution and drags you through a part in about the, I guess the sort of the second act of a three-act structure that is not super fun, especially when you don't know where it's going. So you do have to kind of be willing to push through that, I guess. Okay, so next one on the list. Um, I didn't, I put these in alphabetical order, but I'm actually going to do them in the order that they dropped on Netflix. Um, no, I lied. I'm going to save this one since all three of us have watched it. Um, we'll do High Score Girl next. Um, so High Score Girl dropped like on Christmas Eve, I think. So it just very recently came out. Uh, Caitlin and I have somehow managed to binge the whole thing um, since it came out, so we can talk about it a little bit. Caitlin, what did you think of High Score Girl? I think it is a very, very sweet romance of equals um, for a lot of it. So there, there are two girls. There are two mean girls. There is Ono, who is a rich girl who sort of goes to arcades um, as an escape to get away from the pressures of being this perfect, like the perfect rich girl. Um, and there's, what's the other girl's name? Hidaka. Hidaka. There's Hidaka who, um, likes the main character Haruo. And, you know, she says that she feels most comfortable standing and watching from behind. Um, I really like Ono. Uh, Ono, she doesn't, she doesn't speak which I was a little nervous about at first, but she has a strong, distinct personality. She has, like, um, you know, uh, her own motivations. Um, so there is a, like, she is a good, clear character, despite not being able to speak um, or just not speaking. Uh, Hidaka, I think, was... She she has no she she starts off saying like oh I have no interests of my own but whenever we see her she is watching Haruo play games she is thinking about Haruo playing games she is um you know it's Haruo play Haruo is her entire world as far as we see um and that kind of bums me out. <laughs> Like, I don't really care for that. Yeah, I think... You you finished it, right? We both completed it? Yes. Okay. Um, I do think that the series tries to show us that she genuinely discovers a love of video games through, through like, her crush on him. Um, because even when they stop hanging out, like, she, um, she plays, like, a lot of games and gets really good at them. Um, 
but I do agree like there's there's it's like they're they're trying to do a thing where like these three kids are all sort of bonding over a shared love of video games but because they're also inserting some romantic elements there's always kind of this element of like does she actually like it or is it just because she wants Haruo to notice her so she's doing everything because of this guy um so yeah I I totally understand why that why that doesn't sit well with you I think the the series like executes everything well enough that a lot of the it's the kind of thing where when I'm watching it, I just enjoy it. And then when I step back and kind of think about it, I'm like, mm, there's a few kind of troubling elements here. But um, it's not like the typical anime bullshit where it's so obvious and surface level that it gets in the way of me having a good time with the series proper, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It does just cut off at a very rude part. Just rude of them to end it where they did. Yeah. There are three OVAs planned, and I guess the manga's done. So supposedly the OVAs will will finish the series, um, and I think Netflix will drop those at some point. So you can kind of think of it as there will be a mm-hmm. season two. Yes. Um, Netflix is good about getting the OAV continuations and bonus episodes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we should still get more of it. Um, yeah. My, my biggest... Um, I guess, yeah, I'll go ahead and, I guess, critique, um, point of concern with it is some of the physical violence elements did not sit super well with me, because it, like, on the one hand, I think it's trying to play it off as, like, comedic slapstick, but then, like, you'll also see Haruo with, like, a bloody nose or, you know, like, a noticeable bruise on the side of his face, and, um, so it takes away the sense of, like, sort of weightlessness that slapstick comedy should have, and makes it feel like he's genuinely getting beat up. Um, and I did not, I, I don't care for that in fiction in general, regardless of the genders of the characters. So, um, anytime that came up, it was like a record scratch for me. Yeah. Well, that's true. That is and it's, totally fair. And it's, there's one scene where they get into an actual fight with each other that I actually, that I thought was pretty well done because they're also what, like 13 year olds, um, being 13. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but, and so I thought that one scene was pretty good because it was a good way of, of showing these two, these two kids who again, aren't in a relationship. They're just friends squabbling, (laughs) um, that I thought was pretty well done. But, um, any other time it it came up, it was, um, it was kind of discomforting for me. So just a note for folks at home that that might, uh, be an issue as well. Overall though, I I thought it was a a cute little video game based rom-com. So yeah, no, it's sweet. I'll definitely finish it um, mm-hmm. when the OVAs drop, so I'm curious to see how the story wraps up. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to the final show on our list, and one of my personal favorites of uh, the year, Sirius the Jaeger. <laughs> um, the uh, campy vampire hunter series set in 1930s uh, Tokyo and then also Russia. Um, I really enjoyed this one. I... Y'all yeah. finished it. I don't. I think I'm the. I think I was the highest on the team for sure on this one. But I think you guys. Probably. You finished it. I think you had a good time with it at least. I think I gave mm. it like three point three or three point five stars. Out of five. It, out Ten. of five. Okay. <clears throat> like was which is middling to good. It's more than I give most Netflix anime. <laughs> um, Beating the curve. Yeah, it's. Uh, my feeling on this is that it is pretty. It has a really good ensemble cast that is really underused. Oh, yeah. Yuli is not a particularly interesting character, but also he's very pretty. And I love how extra the vampires are. 
Um, if you're gonna do like ridiculous urban, like early 20th century urban fantasy, then you're gonna have to just go wild with the vampires. I that so, see that my feeling was though I liked the earlier vampires and then they got replaced with a not as good vampire. Like the early vampires were like those kind of like you know blooded nobles, haughty asshole types who thought they could like hang with the vampire hunters and like thought that they were like the the most genetically superior race. And I mean you you kind of got those lines from the new guy that comes later, but oh you totally get that from Yevgraf. Yevgraf is like a vampire yeah. supremacist, hardcore. I, I don't like the other ones. He were more enslaves fun, though, colonial more... peoples. I mean, sorry, <laughs> I have I have some thoughts about the metaphors. Yeah. I thought they were, like, kind of, like, the fun, haughty, like, Victorian noble vampires, and then he, like, you get replaced with, like, carnival vampires, which was him and his uh, weird vampire twins and, like, guy with the bowl cut vampire. I, I yes. thought that the first two vampires were much more fun than the, the villain villain. Obviously, I didn't like it very much <laughs> that, that I come across. I think I, I, I tweeted something like, I think it's got an amount of fun stuff only matched by its dedication not to use any of it. I feel like the most boring thing in the show was Yuli, and he got all of the time rather than the other vampire hunters, which were all more interesting than him, and all got, like, backstories introduced just so that they would do nothing with them. I did kind of get the sense that Sirius was one of those shows that was maybe initially conceived of as two core, and mm. then they had to mash it down into one. Um, that would I'm make not, a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm not yeah. 100% saying that is what happened, but it does have that feel. Um, that having been said, I think the way it was mashed down works really well, but that was also because I was, I was into the, the Tragedy Brothers. Um, I like <laughs> the, I like the, again, I, I love, it's a very, I have very particular taste and the director Masahiro Ando keeps hitting all of my very yeah, particular the taste. This is a big ball of things D likes. It yeah. is. I I love I love paranormal camp. God, there's a there's a train fight. There's like two episodes of a train fight. I love train fights. But they um, only fight when the train stopped. No, they fight when the train is moving. The zombie guy. They totally break the do. Train Ryoko, and it like, stops and they fight. The, the zombie does. Yes, he eventually breaks with Frankenstein. He eventually breaks the train. Um, but there's like several scenes of them fighting while the train is in motion. Um, Ryoko jumps a car. She's so good. Um, <laughs> oh, the girl. She, that's my mm. biggest gripe is that they didn't give Ryoko anything to do in the last arc. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I was going to say, I, I, she like f- fell in love at first sight and then follows him across the world so that she can throw him a katana right before he goes to the last battle. And that's I all she wanted does. to see more scenes between, um, Dorothea and Ryoko. Right, the scene Those between two, the two of them is so really good, good together. There's a lot of really good background elements, which is to me the thing I. So anytime you have a show that's only one core, um, mm. there's always that sense of were these characters actually fleshed out or were they just window dressing? And with Sirius, what I like is that I get the sense that every character had a distinct personality, backstory, motivation, and we just only got to see it in snippets because we had 13 episodes to tell the story. Um, and I loved the snippets we got of this of the supporting cast, um, especially Dorothy and Ryoko. So, like, I hope the show is a smashing success when we get a season two or a movie or something, because I would love to hang out with these characters some more. I don't think it was that successful, though. Well, yeah. maybe if I shout about it enough, it'll become <laughs> successful. I do think I would like an OVA like you described, where it's just the vampire hunters and Sirius is off being God somewhere. Um, so it's them like traveling Spoilers, around. Spoilers, gosh. Listen, if you if you can tell, if we tell Natasha 
that there's brothers that you could sort of ship together. Natasha oh my God. Sort of. You can, what do you, you mean, can sort cut this of? out of the actual <laughs> podcast. You definitely can ship the brothers together. Did, but did you see the, please the don't. literally the last post they're in together is like, I've that's like romance bait. It, I mean, you're not wrong, He's holding but his hand. I, yeah. I see them as I see them as brothers who were separated tragically and love each other so much. And I feel like we're spoiling a lot, so I don't know how much of this we need to we need to keep and how much we should cut. But um, I um, I the other thing I really like about Sirius is um, it is underneath all the all the paranormal camp and the the family feels, which are two things I like very much. Um, there's also it is also pretty unequivocally like fuck colonialism and xenophobia. Um, it's messy and oversimplistic about it, but um, I, I was worried when it set the story in 1930s and was like about like you know evil vampires coming from overseas, that it was gonna go some troubling directions. And I think it, I think it pretty explicitly went the other way with the story. Um, and I think there's some debates to be had about how successfully it accomplishes some of that. But overall, I really liked the direction it, it took that that sort of undercurrent um, beneath all the all the goofy vampire fights and you know bombastic action sequences and whatnot. Also, it just looked really good. It's a really it good is. Looking it's show. a pretty yeah, yeah. show. Definitely looked good. So I liked it a lot. Um, I'm going to keep telling people to watch it with the understanding that it is um, there's quite a bit of graphic violence. So like yeah, if you're not into like mm-hmm. you know bloody limbs flying off, um, it it won't be it won't be up your alley obviously. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I really I really like what it did with its story overall. And I support Masahiro Ando in all projects because he keeps making shows that are very specifically what I'm into. So thank you, Ando. Thank you, Ando, for that. They were they're the um, Jose next core. Yes, like, like I get core. it. Yeah, uh-huh. I I get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Thanks. <laughs> we've broken Caitlin with our we've broken Caitlin with our terrible terrible jokes. Um, which I guess is as good a place as any to stop because I do believe we are out of we are out of shows to talk about at this point. Anything else, folks, want to say as we as we wrap up our our fall season? Black Clover Pretty episode sixty three was lit, and everyone should watch it. <laughs> Just that one episode, though, right? Oh well, that one in particular, but yeah, I watched the whole thing too. I feel like this was overall a pretty weak season. I think the good stuff was really good, and there was really nothing else to, worth talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, like Bloom to You was incredible. SSS Gridman was really good. Um, I think we were all like, I, well, I guess Caitlin, you dropped Zombieland, but we were all like very pleasantly surprised with Zombieland. It was one of those seasons where we wound up with uh, quite a few shows on the recommendations list. Like, I think everyone had different things they were kind of into. So I thought that was, I thought that made it kind of an interesting season. A lot of stuff is continuing too. So we really weren't talking about it here. Well, we talked about Jojo, but then there's like <laughs> slime, which has been very good for an isekai. For yeah. an isekai. I like the yeah. little asterisk there. <laughs> okay. I'll go ahead and play us out. <clears throat> I just needed a sip of water. Okay. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chatty AF. If you like what you heard, Tell your friends about our podcast, and if you really like what you've heard, uh, consider tossing a dollar or more to our Patreon each month. Your support really does go a long way towards making anime feminists happen, both in print and in your earbuds. If you're interested in more from the team and our contributors, please check us out at www.animefeminist.com, on Facebook at AnimeFem, on Tumblr at AnimeFeminist, and on Twitter at AnimeFeminist. And that is the show. Thanks for listening, Annie Fam, and we will catch you next time. 